Chapter Twenty Two of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Two Revival. As the early autumn months slipped away, and touches of winter began to show around them, it became evident that a new feeling was stirring in the first church. No need now to look for increased numbers at the prayer meeting. At least there was not the need that formerly existed. The room was full, and the meetings solemn and earnest. The Spirit of God was hovering over the place. Drops of the coming shower were already beginning to fall. What was the cause of the quickened hearts? Who knew save the watcher on the tower in the eternal city? Was it because of the sudden and solemn and hopeless death occurring in the very center of what was called the first circles? Was it the spirit developed apparently by this death, showing itself in eager, indefatigable effort wherever Ruth Erskine went, with whomever she came in contact? Was it Marion Wilbur's new way of teaching that included not only the intellect of her pupils, but looked beyond that, with loving word, for the empty soul? Was it Eurie Mitchell's patient way of taking up homework and care that had been distasteful to her, and that she had shunned in days gone by? Was it Flossie Shipley's way of teaching the Sabbath school lessons to those boys of hers? Was it the quickened sense which throbbed in the almost discouraged heart of the pastor whenever he came in contact with either of these four? Was it the patient, persistent, unassuming work of John Warden as he went about in the shop among his fellow workmen, dropping an earnest word here, a pressing invitation there? Who shall tell whether either or all of these influences, combined with hundreds of others set in motion by like causes, were the beginnings of the solemn and blessed harvest time that dawned at last on those who had been sowing in tears? The fact was apparent. Even in the first church, that model of propriety and respectability, that church which had so feared excitement or unusual efforts of any sort, there was a revival. Among those who were coming, and who were growing willing to let others know that they were awakening to a sense of the importance of such things, were Dr. and Mrs. Mitchell, Yuri's father and mother. To themselves they did not hesitate to say that the change in Yuri was so marked and so increasing in its power over her life, that it obliged them to think seriously of this thing. Among the interested also were a score or more of girls from Marion's room in the great school and more came every day. Marion's face was shining, and she gathered her brood about her as a mother would the children of her love and longing. Among them were four of Flossie's boys, and half a dozen boys, friends of theirs who were not Flossie's, and who yet, some way, joined her train and managed to be counted in. Among them was Judge Erskine, I mean among those who continued to come to the meetings, coming alone, and being reverent and thoughtful during the services, but going away with bowed head and making no sign. There was something in the way with Judge Erskine that no one understood. As for Ruth, how she worked during those days, not with a glad light in her eyes, such as Marion and Flossie had, not with a satisfied face, as if the question of something to do that was worth doing, and that helped her, had been settled, such as Yuri Mitchell wore, rather with a sad feverish impatience to accomplish results, shrinking from nothing, willing to do anything, go anywhere, 
yet meeting with far less encouragement and seeing far less fruits than any of the others. She did not realize that she was working with a sort of desperate intention of overbalancing the mischief of her mistakes by so much work now that there would be a sort of even balance on the scales. She would have been shocked had she understood her own heart. Meantime, where was Satan? Content to let this reaping time alone? Oh, bless you, no! Never busier, never more alert and watchful and cautious and skillful than now. It was wonderful, too, how many helpers he found whose names were actually on the roll of the first church. There were those who had in mind all the fall having little entertainments. Just a few friends, you know, nothing like a party. They were sorry to be obliged to have them just now, while there were meetings, but Miss Gilmore was in town, and would be here so short a time, they must invite her. It would be not treating her well to take no notice of her visit, and really the people whom they proposed to invite were those who did not attend church, so no harm would be done. These were some of Satan's helpers. There were others who were more outspoken. They did not believe in special efforts, seasons of excitement, religious dissipations, nothing else. People should be religious at all times, not put it on for special occasions. It was well enough to have a special season for parties, and a special season for going to the seaside, and a special season for doing one's dressmaking, and a special season for cleaning house, and a special season for everything under the sun but religious meetings. These should be conducted at all times. Was that what they meant? Oh, dear, no, they should not be conducted at all. Was that what they meant? Who should tell what they did mean? One lady said, The idea of a bell ringing every evening for prayer meeting. It was too absurd. People must have a little time for recreation. These weeks just before the holidays were always by common consent the time for festivities of all sorts. It was downright folly to expect young people to give up their pleasures and go every evening to meeting. So she issued her cards for a party, and gathered as many of the young people about her as she could. And this woman was a member of the first church. And this woman professed to believe in the verse that read, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. There were others who went to these parties, hushing their consciences meantime by the explanation that the social duties were important ones, and that one whose heart was right could serve God as well having religious conversation at a party, as she could occupying a seat at a prayer meeting. Perhaps they really believed it. What marvel! Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The trouble about the sincerity was, that those same persons were not unaware of certain sneering remarks that were being made, to the effect that if church members could go to parties when there were meetings at their own church, they could surely be excused from the meetings, and they could not have been utterly ignorant of the verse that read plainly, Let not your good be evil spoken of. There were still others who compromised matters, taking the meetings for the first hour of the evening and a party for the next three, and the lookers-on said, sneeringly, that there was a strife going on between the soul, the flesh, and the devil, and they wondered which would conquer. So all these classes flourished and worked in their different ways in the first church, just as they always will work, 
until that day when the wheat shall be forever separated from the tares. The wonder is why so many blinded eyes must insist that because there are tares, there is therefore no wheat. The Lord said, Let both grow together until the harvest. I don't understand it, Ruth said one day to Marion, as they talked the work over, and tried to lay plans for future helpfulness. Why do you suppose it is that I seem able to do nothing at all? I try with all my might, my heart is surely in it, and I long with a desire that seems almost as if it would consume me, to see some fruit of my work, and yet I don't. What can be the difficulty? I don't know, Marion said, speaking hesitatingly, as one who would like to say more if she dared. I don't feel competent to answer that question, and yet sometimes I have feared that you might be trying to compromise with the Lord. I don't understand you. In what way do you mean? I try to do my duty in every place that I can think of. I am not compromising on any subject so far as I know. If I am, I will certainly be grateful to anyone who will point it out to me. I am not sure that it is sufficiently clear to my own mind to be able to point it out, Marion said, still visibly embarrassed. But, Ruth, it sometimes seems to me as if you had said to yourself, Now I will work so much and pray so much, and then I ought to have rest from the pain that is goading me on, and I ought to be able to feel that I have atoned for past mistakes, and the account against me is squared. Ruth turned from her impatiently. You are a strange comforter, she said, almost indignantly. Do you mean by that to intimate that you think I ought never to look or hope for rest of mind again, because I have made one fearful mistake? Do you mean that I ought always to carry with me the sense of the burden? I mean no such thing. You cannot think I so estimate the power of sacrifice for sin. Ruth, I mean simply this. Nothing that you or I can do can possibly make one sin white, one mistake as though it had not been, give one moment of rest to a troubled heart. But the blood of Jesus Christ can do all this, and it does seem to me that you are ignoring it and trying to work out your own rest. Ruth was thoughtful. The look of vexation passed from her face. It may be so, she said after a long silence. I begin dimly to understand your meaning, but I don't know how to help it, how to feel differently. I surely ought to work, and surely I have a right to expect results. In one sense, yes, and in another I don't believe we have. I begin to feel more and more that you and I have got in some way to be made to understand that it is not our way but the Lord's that we must be willing to do, or, what is harder, to leave undone, exactly what he says, do or not do. I can't help feeling that you are planning in your own heart just what ought to be done, and then allowing yourself to feel almost indignant and ill-used because the work is not accomplished. I don't know how you have succeeded in seeing so deeply into my heart, Ruth said with a wan smile. I believe it is so, though I am not sure that I ever saw it before. I know why I see it, because it is my temptation as well as yours. You and I are both strong-willed. We have both been used to having our own way. We want to continue to have it. We want to do the right things, provided we can have the choosing of them. 
Flossy now, with her yielding nature, is willing to be led, as you and I are not. I have to fight against this tendency to carry out my plans and look for my results all the time. The fact is, Ruth, we must learn to work for Christ, and not set up business for ourselves, and still expect him to give the wages. Still, said Ruth, I don't know. There seems to me to be nothing that I am not willing to do. I can't think of anything so hard that I would not unhesitatingly do it. I have changed wonderfully in that respect. A little while ago I was not willing to do anything. Now I am ready for anything that can be done. Are you? Marion asked, with a visible shiver. Ruth, are you sure? I can't say that. I want to say it, and I pray that I may be able. Yet I can think of so many things that I might be called on to do, that I shrink from. I have given up trying to do them, and fallen back on the promise, My grace is sufficient, only praying, Lord, give me the needed grace for today, I will not reach out for tomorrow. And, Ruth, I feel sure that neither you nor I must try to cover our past errors with present usefulness. Nothing but the blood of Christ can cover any wrong. We must rest on that, and on that alone. I believe I only understand in part what you mean. I don't see how you ever reached so far ahead of me in faith and in understanding. But I believe you are farther. Still, I can't think of anything that I am not willing and ready to do. I wish I might be tried. I wish he would give me some work, not of my own planning, that he might see how willing I am to do anything. This was Ruth's last remark to her friend that evening. Flossy and Yuri both came in, and they went out to the meeting together, Ruth still thinking of the talk they had, and feeling sure that she could do whatever she found, and yet the master was planning a way for her that very evening, the entrance to which she had never seen, never dreamed of as possible. So many ways he has for leading us. Blessed are those who have come to the experience that makes them willing to be led, even in darkness and blindness, trusting to the Son of Righteousness for light. End of chapter 22 Recording by Tricia G.